Congratulations. You know, um, we've got a lot of things that we're honoring today and um, broadcasts that I just help us remember that this is Memorial Day weekend. And many of you, if you were driving, you may have noticed that the flags are at half staff to remember the people who have died so that we get the freedom of meeting right here. And I don't know if you know it, but well over a million, a million men and women have died in combat. Uh, since the beginning of our country so that we could rest easy. And, uh, you know, I'd love to ask all of those who've died for their country to stand, um, but I realize the response would be small. Uh, but I would like to do this. I'd like to ask that all of you who've served in our armed forces, if you would stand in the place of those who've given their lives in that way, would you just stand up? Those who've served in the armed forces. Any vets? Good. Good. Mm, good. Thank you. Be seated. That was in place of those who've given their lives so we can rest easy. Good. Well, it's a delight to be with you, and I want to talk to you this morning about seeking first the kingdom of God. And I'd like us to turn to where Jesus talks about this subject, and it's in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, if you'd open to Matthew 6, uh, and you'll find yourself, Matthew 6, and find verse 18. That's really the beginning of where Jesus begins to talk about this subject. And we're going to read in a minute, but I'm going to tell you a little bit so you'll be watching. He's just going to remind us here of several wonderful things. One, of course, is that God is real. He's not imaginary. He's really there. This is part of real life. And, uh, and he's near. He's a lot nearer than any of us realize, and he's a lot more active in our lives than any of us realize. And he wants to remind us of that. And his purpose, as he talks through this section, is to... Break, break us free, it's to set us free from the powerful tendency we all feel to give our lives, to make the major thrust of our lives, getting stuff that we can get from each other, which has some value, but it's only a little bit of value and for a very short time. And that is a powerful tendency we all have, isn't it? Whether it's to get praise and honor or riches or wealth or inclusion in friendship, many of us spend our whole lives desperately trying to get stuff that other people can give us, and it helps, but it helps just a little bit and for a short time. And what he wants to do is to rescue us from getting to the end of our lives and really having nothing to show for it. And so he's going to tell us, instead of doing that, what you want to do is get the stuff that comes from God, which is enormously precious, and it lasts forever. And that's what this is all about. So let's listen. In fact, let's stand up. Just remember, these are the words of God. Just stand up. You can follow with me as I read this section where Jesus calls us to seek first the things of God. Starting at verse 19, he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the eye, by the way, he's talking about our ability to see what's real and true and permanent and precious. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. He'll either will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear. It's not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? I mean, see how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor has, was dressed like one of these. Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry. Saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? The pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. These are the very words of God. Please be seated. I want to talk to you about seeking first the kingdom of God. And whenever I, I read this, as I was reading this and thinking about you, a story came to mind. It was a story uh, that I heard about one of the fellows who taught at the school where I went, Dallas Seminary. He was one of the leading authorities in Old Testament. He got his PhD from Harvard. And he was also a rock collector, a gem collector. And during his vacations at Harvard, he'd take his young family to go up to Maine because there were a bunch of rocks up there and he loved to collect rocks. And, and one, during one of these uh, trips to Maine, uh, they were camped, the, the, the family camped beside this real shallow lake and it was crystal clear water and you could see through to the rocks that were underneath. And so he's wading out, he goes out maybe 100 yards and he's got his little six-year-old boy with him and he gets out, and he gets out to about 100 yards, and there, right in the crystal lake, he finds this piece of granite with an, an enormous shaft of the most beautiful green crystal. Looked like a, an emerald. I mean, it was a gem collector's dream. So he's got this piece of granite with this shaft of green, uh, semi-precious stone sticking out of it. And uh, he grabs it and he gives it to his six-year-old son. And he says, now take this back to the camp uh, because he wanted to look to see if there was any more. Well, he looked. He didn't find any more. I mean, it was the find of a lifetime for a gen collector. So he goes back, walks back through the water, 100 yards, and he's looking for his son. And he finds his son. And he says, hey, okay, give me the, give me the gem. And his 
kid has his hands behind his back like this. He says, give me the gem. And, uh, and his son kind of, he smiled broadly. He says, dad, I don't have the gem, but look what I found. And he holds up this green frog. What Jesus is trying to do is keep us from doing what that kid did. Spending our whole lives trading gems for frogs. Losing gems to pick up frogs. That's what this is about. Now what I want to do is I want to talk to you about why we should seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, of course, is the rule of God in our life. It's also the end game of our life. It's where we end if we allow him to be king. And I want to talk to you about why we do that. Why should you do that? Why make the major thrust of your life the primary thing that you go after day after day, knowing God, receiving from him what he gives, doing the things that are most precious to him? And I want to talk to you about that. And I, as I thought about it, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you the story of the kingdom. The story of God's dream for the planet, the human race, and for you personally. I want to tell you that story. So when you see the story, it's pretty obvious why we should seek first the kingdom of God. So I'm going to draw it for you here. And late, maybe you can help me out here. Let's uh, pull this over. I want to put this up on the stage right over there. Let's just roll this over. There you go. Roll it right over. Okay, lift it up here. You lift up that end. I'll lift up this end. There we go. A little drama here. There you go. Thank you very much. Okay, let me tell you the story of the kingdom of God. I want you to see it. This is what Jesus was talking about. He says, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. What's he saying? If you see this, your whole life will be full of vigor and wonder. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In other words, if you don't see this, you will easily get talked into wasting your life and coming to the end and have nothing to show for it. So let's take a look at the story of the kingdom of God. Okay, it has a beginning, a wonderful beginning, and a wonderful end. Those are the two big pieces. The beginning, the beginning of the story of the kingdom of God started before the creation. Long before the creation, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a dream. I don't know how that happened, but they had a dream. And the dream was of a giant, enormous community of people, human beings just like you and me, including you and me, that would be marked by great love. Marked by great love. They would be experiencing the great love of God for them. They would be responding by loving him back with great love and they'd reflect that love to each other. That was the dream. Billions of people like you and me experiencing the love of God, responding to him by loving him back and reflecting it to each other. That was the dream. And they had a plan. They sat down, they said, how are we gonna do this? And they decided 
They split it up. They decided each of the three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what are we going to do to make this dream a reality? And long before the earth was ever made, it was decided that the Son would come. And he would do the amazing job of rescuing the human race from sin and death. He was the Lamb of God. He was slain before the foundation of the world. That was all decided. The Holy Spirit would come and he'd move into the minds and the hearts of people. And he would reveal to them the love of God and the wonder of Jesus. And the wonder of what God was doing. And the Father agreed. The Father agreed that he would choose, he would adopt, he would make citizens of his kingdom. Those who received the Son and believed the Spirit and allowed God to be king in their lives. They, they figured all that out before it was ever, ever created. And then they made a decision. The decision was, this is going to happen. Nothing's going to stop it. We're going to do this. And then it began. And so they created. They created. They created the heavens and the earth. And it was created in love. And they started with two people. Two people. That's the beginning of the community. And they put those two people in a magnificent creation. Heavens and the earth, all the plants and animals and everything. And they poured out their love by showing them the wonder, the goodness through the creation. And then they gave these two people incredible capacities to think and feel and desire and choose and, and imagine and, and discern right from wrong. And they had a spirit who could sense God. And they, they, they poured out their love by putting in you and in them the amazing combination of abilities and capacities that you have as a human being. And then he walked with them. He came down and he was with them. And he talked to them. And he began the process of doing life together. And it was marvelous. They were receiving his love. They loved him back. They loved each other. That's the beginning. That's the wonderful end. Now, there's a wonderful end to the story of the kingdom of God. And that is he wanted to go from two to billions of people, billions of people, right, who would experience his love, respond back to him in love, and love each other. That's the end. And the end is, a, is an amazing, and, and they, they, would, they would receive his love, they would be transformed into, into lovers of him, and uh, they would love each other, and they love him back, and they live in righteousness and peace and joy forever and ever that's the end the end game and uh and you see that a wonderful end now in between there are three major components processes how are we going to get from here to here and there are three major things that he decided are in the process the one is a ferocious struggle against evil Part of making a kingdom of people who have great love is who's going to give them the opportunity to live a great life and to demonstrate great love along the way. And that would become, as they 
push back against evil. And you remember the parts of this story. He, uh, he provided for a powerful enemy to enter the, the creation. Powerful enemy. Powerfully deceptive. Powerfully evil. And, and he saw in all this coming a, a tragic failure among all of us. We've all made the failure to walk away from God, to do things that we know aren't right and that are foolish, and to leave the God who made us. And then he, he had in the plan uh, the, the, the relentless war against evil that we all experience every day, right? In ourselves. We fight this every day. Our own meanness, our own selfishness, our own jealousy, our own envy, our own greed, our own lust, and, 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 and we have that. And then we have the, the evil that other people do, either to us or the people around us. We encounter that in our own marriage, right? We all live with, with people who, who harm us, with our own kids, and in the workplace, right? The evil of people who would, who would vie and, and take and, and all that business. And, and you see that. There's this struggle, this ferocious struggle is part of going from here to getting a, a community of people who have great love. Then he, they decided there'd be a great rescue, right? This is the story of the life of Jesus. God himself would come to the earth and reveal who he is and, and he'd show us the good that he wants to do. And then he'd, he'd die in our place and rise from the dead so that we'd, we'd know that he's the one. And finally, he provided for what I call a great quest, right? He gave us a marvelous mission, and that's the liberation of the planet Earth. It's to set the planet free. It's to take the word of the love and the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of God to every human being on the planet so that they all have a chance to decide that Although they've left God, they want to come back to God and they want what he has. These are the pieces of the story of the kingdom of God. A marvelous beginning, a marvelous end, and in between there is this ferocious struggle that he calls us to engage in against evil. There's this marvelous rescue, breathtaking, and there's this heroic quest that he invites us all to be part of. Okay? Now, why is it so important to see this? Why do you need to see, not only understand this story, but realize, I mean, this is what's going on. There, there are two reasons. One is, this is true. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. You wake up, this is the story of what's happening on the planet Earth. This is what's happening in the human race. This is what's happening in your life. I mean, this is the story of you, right? We all, we all, well, first of all, we all see the, the remnants of the beginning. It's not quite as peaceful uh, as it was, as the tornadoes last night reminded us. We don't have talking animals who are sweet and kind to us anymore, and we don't have peace on the earth, and, and the, the, some things have changed, but we see a lot of the beauty up here, right? But it's true. Do you struggle against evil? Anybody recognize a struggle against evil? I mean, can you feel it in your own soul? 
When you're trying to do good, you're trying to be right, but there's stuff in me that makes me mean and crazy and, and rebellious and lustful, and, and I'm trying to push back against that so I don't become a monster. You feel that? Do you feel the evil that we're pushing against as we try to do life in government and in the marketplace and in society and in between the nations and between, uh, between the races? I mean, this is happening, right? This isn't some human construct. This is what God tells us is going on. And then there's the rescue. It happened. You know, the rescuers come just like God says. You, you read through the story of Jesus, there's a refrain that comes through the, the story of Jesus. And that is, this happened because it was written. This is just as it was written. This is that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In other words, one of the things that all, you know, all those stories about the turning the water into wine and feeding the 5,000 and healing the leper and giving light to the blind and raising the dead, those are for a purpose. Those things were all foretold about the one who would come and rescue us. This has happened. And then there's the quest. This is what's going on. Open your eyes. The, the, the wonderful quest, God says, let me tell you what's going to happen. The rescuer is going to come, and then the word's going to go out, and people from every tribe and every nation and every color and every race are going to hear about this. And you know, that's what's happening. There are over two billion followers of Jesus. One of my favorite places on the whole planet is, is uh, the garden tomb in Jerusalem. It's where they think Jesus rose from the dead. Bev and I have been there a number of times, and every time I go, we don't know whether that's the garden tomb. We don't know whether that's where Jesus is buried for sure or not. A lot that indicates it is, but we don't know. But what you do know for sure if you go to the garden tomb is the gospel of the kingdom has gone to all the nations. Because when you go there, you see Black people and Oriental people and white people. You see people from Nigeria and Kenya and Uganda. You see people from Japan and Korea and China. You see people from South America and North America and Europe. I mean the whole world. This is happening. See, the story of the kingdom of God is happening. I mean, we need to wake up. This is what's going on. This is your story. God has created you. He's put you in a struggle, a ferocious struggle against evil in you and around you and over you. He sent a rescuer to save you from your own sin and give you life. And he's called you to a significant quest, a mission to join him in setting the world free. And you don't end when you die, you are raised from the dead and if he's king of your life, you are going to get to live in a world of righteousness and peace and joy forever. That's a marvelous thing. Now, it's true. The other thing about seeing this is it's wonderful. When you see this, it brings a wonder to life. It rescues you from boredom and a sense of futility and just the drudgery of head down, going through day by day, not knowing what life is all about. Seeing the coming, the story of the kingdom will give a wonder to your life. 
It brings a joy to your life. When you see the beginning and you realize, you know, all of this was created. It was created to bring delight and joy and to show me that God is, he's a lover of my soul. It brings delight. I was out, I was out at uh, Lake, Lake Hefner this last, uh, this last week and I was just sitting out there having a quiet time and this, this group of geese come by, two, two of these geese and they had like 11 little goslings. And uh, these goslings were like preteens. You know, they're, they're not the little chicks, but they're, they're kind of halfway. They're still fuzzy, and they're kind of feisty. They're going hissing, you know, hissing at each other like that. And then they're pecking at each other, you know, like preteens do. And, uh, and they, were, they were following mom and dad around. They're learning how to eat whatever they eat out of the grass. I mean, you just looked at that. It was, it was delightful. I just sat there. And, I mean, this is amazing. But I get to see this. There is a delight. There is a fascination. And as you look around the creation, whether you look at the stars, you look at cells, you look at flowers, you look at, you know, you look at the way men and women love each other and they're raising, I mean, there's a delightfulness. When you look at the struggle, listen, this is what gives courage. When you realize God has ordained that we fight for these years. We fight with everything we have against evil. That's the way he makes great people out of us. I love the epistle of Peter. At the end of Peter, he said, uh, he, he said look, he said, and he's talking to Christians who are going through severe persecution. He said almost offhanded, he says, after you've suffered a while, God will strengthen and encourage and establish you. Part of making great people is putting us through a great struggle because that's where you get to exercise great faith and great love and great patience and great forgiveness and great courage. Listen, if you see that, it'll take all those places where you're aching and you're just, you're thinking your life is a tragic story of struggle and why can't things be better and you want to get out of it. It transforms it and your eyes brighten. You realize this is the opportunity. I told this story before. Bev and I have seen this in our marriage. I mean, we had a fairy tale beginning. But once we started doing life together, the fairy tale took a turn, kind of like, you know, the beauty and the beast. And, uh, and we did. We both had things that we discovered after we were married. Breakage in us that made it hard to give what the other most desperately needed. And a strong sense of desire for things from the other that we weren't getting. And I wanted to leave and Bev wanted to die. And then I remember... You know, there's a, a significant, and there was, there was this kind of low-grade sense that, that, that our life is somewhat disappointing and kind of tragic because it could be so much better than it is. Now, most of you who are married, you can understand that. It's probably where you're at. It's not as much fun as you imagined. And you think it could be so much more fun if only he or she would change. Right? 
I mean, that's it. The problem is them. And you know, then we went, we went to focus on the family and we started studying marriage there. And one of the first things we learned is that the primary purpose of marriage is not to make me happy, it's to make me holy. It is to transform me into somebody who loves one person the way God loves me. And, and we began to recognize these things that the other person is not giving me. This is my opportunity to love like God loves, to be faithful, to be patient, to forgive in a great way. And I'm telling you, it changed the whole deal. It, cha- it didn't change the situation, but it changed the way we felt and understood. We realized this is not a tragic mistake. When we see the reality that God has put us in a great struggle against evil, it gives us courage to rather than than pouting and and complaining, we kind of rise up and say, this is my opportunity. So that when I get here, God can say, well done. He can say, look, you have have." You've expressed great faith and great love, and, and, and we live with a memory of that. The rescue, this is what sets us free. Seeing the rescue, the fact that God has come to the earth and he's died for us, this is what melts our hearts. This is what causes us to not go from not caring about God and being indifferent and just kind of casually religious to where we realize, oh my goodness, There's somebody out there and he loves me more than anybody else in the world and I can't help but love him back. You know, Notre Dame has been in the, in the, in the news lately and uh, there's, there's a fascinating story about one of the guys who was a cardinal there and he tells his testimony of how he, he, he was a street guy, he, he had ran with gangs, he had no interest in, in God at all and uh, as he was running with, a, with the gangs, they, they, they decided they wanted to, to, to make fun and mock the priests who were at the Notre Dame. So, so they, they, they said, hey, uh, I want you to go in and I want you to go into the confessional with these guys and just tell them some outrageous story that just shocked the pants off them. And the guy, the guy they dared him to do it. And he, he said, well, will you do it? Yeah, I'll do it. So he did. So he went in and he told this outrageous story to the priest in the confessional. And the priest he understood what was going on here. And he said to the guy, here's what I want you to do for your penance. I want you to go out of the door and around the side. And around the side was a big statue of Jesus hanging on the cross, the, you know, the Catholic crucifix. And the priest said, what I want you to do is I want you to go out there and I want you to stand in front of that crucifix and this is your penance. I want you to say three times, Jesus, all this you did for me and I don't give a damn. So the guy went out and he told his friends. And they said, well, are you going to do it? Oh, yeah, he said, I'll do it. And so he did. He walked around. He stood in front of the crucifix and he said, Jesus, all this you did for me and I don't give a damn. Jesus, all you, this you did for me and I don't give a damn. And he said, he's third time, he said, Jesus, all this you did for me and he couldn't finish. The Holy Spirit broke through and he realized, you know, all this you did for me and I've got to give a damn. I've got to give my life. And he did. He gave his life to Christ. He just knelt and 
said, Lord, if you love me like this, I give myself to you. That's what seeing the rescue does. It frees us from indifference and casual religion that makes us want God more than anything in the world. The quest, this is what gives our life purpose. This is what sets us free from just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, this gives us something to live for, right? God says, listen, I'm inviting you into a great quest. We're going to go from here to here. And the way we're going to do it is I'm inviting you to be part of the process. To proclaim the gospel of the kingdom wherever you live. To share with other people. I mean, the wonder, can you, can you get it? This is the most wonderful message. This is what the world needs is to know that, you know, the reason my life is in the pits is because I've left God. And when I left God, I left the life that he gave me. And I don't need to stay in the pits of darkness and confusion and chasing one high after another, doing nothing. I get to live for something worthwhile. I can return to God because of the sacrifice and the love of Jesus. And I can come back and I have light and I have freedom from my bondage and I have a reason to live and I've got value and I've got love and I've got all the things we need as human beings so that we don't have to get high and numb the pain and, and kind of blank out reality because it's too painful to endure. And it gives us purpose. I love this because I, I, I do. Because I, I'm driven by purpose. That's my thing. I can remember as a young cadet at the Air Force Academy, I was studying astrophysics and so forth and wanted to be an astronaut. But I said, who cares? I mean, so what? You get to go to the moon. That's a f- what difference does it make? What, what difference? I wanted something that would last and be significant. Something inside me was hungry for that. And then I met Christ and I realized he's saving the world. He's saving the world. He's taking people who are dead now and will be dead forever and he's giving them life now and forever. I mean, that's enormous. That's worth something. The guy who raised me said, look, he mentored me. He said, uh, showed me 1 Corinthians where Paul talked about this in the resurrection. He says, you know, um, what is it? Uh, uh, Talked about, uh, it escapes me right now. Um, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You help somebody find and follow God, you've saved them forever. Forever. Remember walking around the pine trees in, in, in southern Georgia. I was leading a little ministry among college students and I realized if I help these people find you, if I help them understand the wonder of Jesus and the wonder of the gospel and I help them turn from sin to God, I will make a difference forever. And I thought, God, if you will, let me do this the rest of my life. This is a quest worth giving my life for. And finally, you see this and it gives you hope. This is what frees you from the fear of death. This is what frees you from the, from the ache of getting older. Getting older isn't so bad. I mean, the truth is, yeah, our bodies ache, but we're closer to this right here, right? Susie, isn't that right? I mean, gray hair is a sign that we're almost to the finish line. The hardest part of eternal life is just about done. 
Paul talked about, I rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What's he talking about? I'm rejoicing in this right here. I remember my mom was, was with us the last three, three uh, months of her life. And uh, I, we'd have a quiet time with her. She knew she was dying. She had lung cancer and they gave her just a few months to live. And uh, we, we're reading. We'd, we, we'd, we'd read and we'd say, what is the Lord saying? And I've got in my Bible, we read from Second Corinthians. Listen to what it says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is Paul talking. Though outwardly we're wasting away. And that was Mom. Outwardly, she's wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but on what's seen, but on what's unseen. And I just put in my margin, uh, January 25th, 2010, Mom. And we were reading this, and this is what she said. She said, Rock, this is what's true of me. I am wasting away. But I want you to know I am so excited about what's ahead. And she would wake up each day in the last week of her life and she'd say, oh, fish. That was her, that was her expletive. Oh, fish, he said. I'm still here. <laughs> and, uh, right? That's what she would say. I'm still here. And uh, she'd be disappointed that she's still here. But she was full of hope because she understood this is true. And the most exciting day of her life would be the day finally her body quits and she passes into the presence of God and starts the age to come. Why do we seek first the kingdom of God? First of all, when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's what's happening. It's true. It's not a myth. It's not a construct. It's the word of God. Jesus said at the end of Revelation, he said, write these things down for this is trustworthy and true. This is what's happening. And because when you see this, it brings a wonder to your life. It brings a vigor. This is where joy comes from. This is where energy and courage comes from. This is where great living and purpose for life comes from. It's seeing. If your eyes are good, Jesus said, you see this, your whole body is full of light. Father, we thank you for telling us what you're doing and spelling it out and showing us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd help us to see it and respond. Now, let's just listen just a bit. I want to let you listen. Some piece of this is for you. Some piece of this speaks to where you're at right now. It's the reason God brought you here this morning. I don't know whether you need to see delight. I don't know whether you need courage. I don't know whether you need freedom and affection for God or whether you need purpose or whether you need hope. But just listen and say, Lord, what piece of this is for me? Just listen, just be quiet. Say, Lord, what piece of this? Why did you bring me here this morning? What piece of this is for me? And listen. And respond.